This is The Capital Corner, a McGuire Woods podcast exploring investment strategies, capital structures, and topics relevant in today's middle market private equity. Join McGuire Woods partner Jeff Cockrell as he and specialists share practical insights to inform your deal work. Today I'm joined by my good friend Matt Pettit, the founder of Seven Hills Capital. I've done a number of uh, really fun deals with uh, Matt over the years. Uh, he's one of the best investors I, investors I know. This will be an interesting conversation. Uh, Matt, for those that don't know you, can you uh, introduce yourself and uh, tell us a little bit about Seven Hills? No, of course, Jeff. And I, I don't think I've heard people say the nice things about me before, so I appreciate it. But Seven Hills has now been around. We're, we're surprisingly going to our sixth year of uh, – of operating in our sixth year being advised by Jeff. And it's been a real pleasure to uh, to grow the firm alongside McGuire Woods. But at Seven Hills, we're focused on building a portfolio of leading healthcare services businesses. Today, we have two in our portfolio. Our goal is by the end of 2022 to have four. We are definitely on the smaller side. We, We do see control investments alongside operators and entrepreneurs who are looking to either grow their business inorganically or organically, and oftentimes involve as kind of a family selling shareholder. We don't typically buy from institutions. We like to be the first round of institutional capital. And as we think about our value creation, it's really by adding three pillars to each company. One, which I'm sure we'll talk about today, is kind of business development. Two is really back office financial support. And three is access to the capital markets that is kind of smaller, privately held business previously they didn't have, or that be on the debt, uh, or even potentially sometimes the larger equity side. Matt, let's talk a little bit about the development aspect of it. The, the, as you know, the lower middle market, especially the, the founder portion of it with no institutional investors already uh, connected to a, a company, it's a wide and disorganized market. How do you go about finding value in that vast market? When we look at the market, it's definitely a labor of love that over the years we found some efforts bear fruit, some don't. If, if I think back to when this kind of all started, when I left a larger institution 10 years ago, my wife and I sat at our, at our kitchen table and, and wrote letters to every dermatologist in the Midwest until somebody to respond and we could build a platform around that, which we which we inevitably did. But we've kind of taken that approach to build the Versa Care Group reliable and our future platform. So to do that, we don't spend as much time as some of our brethren at, at the ACG events or the deal networking events. We try and spend a lot of time in our local community. If that's writing, you know, healthcare leaders letters, getting in front of the right companies and then doing a lot of direct outreach, which is our firm has grown. Sam, who's on our team, and I were doing most of that, and we kind of hit a wall. So recently, we've actually brought on a director of business development partnerships. And with that role, Ben is actually reaching out on behalf of our portfolio companies, but also on behalf of the firm in an effort to avoid auction situations and find proprietary opportunities, which you know, come with a lot of excitement at first and sometimes failure, but sometimes can come out of nowhere and be really exciting. And that's why we like to focus our efforts kind of below the radar, knowing that uh, oftentimes it could be more work to execute the transactions, but we believe it's worth a longer time. Two questions uh, following up on that. What's the life cycle of that pursuit? Uh, is, it, is it a longer-term relationship building 
or is it just kind of lifting up rock after lifting up rock after lifting up rock? Uh, and then second question is, but what's your pitch to them? What are you, uh, on the first encounter, uh, what are you selling? Is it just relationship? Or are you selling a deal or expertise? How, how do you go about that? Yeah, for, for an add-on perspective, if I look at the last three we've closed, which, which are all recently, we have been in contact with two out of those three for over a year and a half. Uh, both of them were proprietary opportunities that we met the seller um, be there at an industry conference or through a letter writing campaign or through cold calling um, and build kind of relationships as they explored various options. We're obviously in anything, not the only strategic buyer out there. So it's really important for us to identify who and what we are early, which given the size of our companies is, is sometimes an alternative to some of our larger competitors, but also it's something where if they do want to roll stock and come into the platform, especially as it relates to VersaCare, we're very upfront with them that, that it's a longer investment cycle, which is appealing to them. But on the platform side, I mean, we look at it as saying if we touch a proprietary opportunity, hopefully in two years, we have a, a real opportunity to invest in that company, whether they have hired an advisor or not. And we, we've seen it go both ways. When we initially meet them, we're very upfront about what we believe our value creation is, which is the three pillars I talked about before the finance, the BD, as well as the back office support. But the other thing that we're very upfront is I consider myself a CEO who was much better at doing other things. So having sat in that seat, I think I can uniquely talk to a lot of these, uh, these smaller companies and say, look, I've, I've run a 150-person operation. I've had to meet payroll. I've had to walk somebody out of billing. I've had to do the things that you know, some investors they talk to have heard about, and it may have been tangential to, but haven't actually set in that seed. And we found is that's been a real uh, tiebreaker for us over the years. When you're lo- looking at companies, uh, given that you often start kind of a platform with uh, very small and just build from there, uh, when, when you're looking at uh, uh, targets and from the perspective of this this target could be a platform unto itself versus this target really needs to be folded into uh, an existing platform. What are the differentiators on that? Uh, are they qualitative as to kind of the the founder's skill set? Is it just the fact that you either do or don't have a platform uh, in that space? Uh, but are there kind of qualitative differences uh, at the small end of the market of, of, a, of something that could be the anchor of a platform versus just having to be an add-on? What I would say is all about the people. I mean, I've seen small businesses I thought could be a great platform because they but say Gentac then instead of QuickBooks or did this, that, and this. And then you really dig in. But while they might have the systems, they don't have the people. Maybe tech companies that I'm not smart enough to invest in can do that. But especially in healthcare services, to us, it's truly about the individuals. A good example of that was VersaCare. I mean, Jeff, when we first, when you first advised us on that, I mean, the business was, was barely making, you know, a million and a half dollars a month, and it's grown exponentially, gone from just Michigan to, you know, we'll be in eight states by the end of this month. And the way we did that was building a business around Lawrence Lesky and later Renee uh, Sagasser, who runs APT. I mean, people who had an unbelievable command of their business, their strategy, but also their team. And what they were able to do is move their teammates into the right roles as the platform evolved. 
knowing when it was the right time to hire and knowing when it was the right time to unfortunately make emotions and other tough decisions, that, the more we look at these, becomes our ultimate investment decision. Is this somebody who can strategically build the platform alongside of us? And the systems and the scale will follow. But if you don't have that, that key ingredient, it's very challenging for us. When you look at kind of folding in uh, add-on acquisitions, um, I'm always struck with the complexity and sometimes success, sometimes failure of uh, integration. How do you think about integrating kind of a series of small acquisitions? Going back to uh, I wasn't a great CEO because sometimes, uh, and you know me well enough to know, I, I can chase the squirrel and not stay focused. And that is the key to my mind to a great integration is a very detailed playbook, a very open and honest understanding with the sellers, the new management team, the existing management team on roles and responsibilities, and just transparency. If one side's feeling like it's not going well, they should be open and honest about that. Out of the last five or six integrations we've done, I'd say that everyone has its own learning experience. Has any of them gone flawless? Absolutely not. But the ones that have gone better than others are when the selling company really formed a deep relationship with, with our integration team, and there weren't real surprises. I mean, there's obviously surprises, but they were they kind of, kind of rolled with the punches versus when you don't have that chance to meet the team on the front end and there's a lack of communication, no closing day and integration day feels like more of a surprise and a shock with some resentment and some anger then some excitement about the future. Given your success in some of these uh, add-on acquisitions, when you, when you chart out the path forward, uh, there's different uh, approaches that I've seen uh, folks take. Uh, one is to, um, as quickly as they can, start scaling up the size of their add-on acquisitions. Others, uh, as quickly as they can, don't scale up the size, but scale up the speed. How do you think about that choice? It's a, it's a debate that we have in every single one of our boardrooms, and it's a tough one because if you look at two of the matters you're advising us on right now, one is pretty big, one is really small. For our integration team, the work won't be that different, and that's hard because the price is materially different. Well, with some of these acquisitions, I mean, you can get for one or two times or sometimes even the value of the AR – it takes a long time to do those, and your capacity constrained with your team on how many you can do. Same with the big ones. I mean, if you do one really big one, it can be a big time suck. So what we've kind of decided our view of it is, is every year our company can complete X acquisitions, and we meet really biweekly with our CEOs to walk through the pipeline and kind of make that size versus volume decision, knowing that our yearly volume is probably realistically capped if we want to continue to do a good job. Well, Matt, uh, I want to thank you for spending uh, a few minutes with us. It's been fun watching you build these, uh, these really fabulous companies and looking forward to um, many more down the line. Awesome, Jeff. I, I appreciate it. It's always great to spend time together and uh, looking forward to the, uh, more in the future. Thank you for joining us on this installment of The Capital Corner. To learn more about today's discussion, please email host Jeff Cockrell at gcockrell at mcguirewoods.com. We look forward to hearing from you.
This series was recorded and is being made available by McGuire Woods for informational purposes only. By accessing this series, you acknowledge that McGuire Woods makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this installment. The views, information, or opinions expressed are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily reflect those of McGuire Woods. This series should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice from a licensed professional attorney in your state and should not be construed as an offer to make or consider any investment or course of action.